Thank you, worship team. And thanks, kids, as well. What a great morning. It's always a treat to be able to worship God in songs. And it's something always even more special when the kids lead us in worship. There's that honesty and sincerity and just a plainness that comes with it that is so rich and so deep. It's no wonder that Christ talked about wanting us to become like the children because of what they bring to that. And today's message really reinforces that and the challenges that we deal with as we become older and more mature and more devious and more desiring of people to look at us instead of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So it's great to have the kids start us out with their innocence and then God to teach us where we've gone astray and how we need to continue to work on that. For those of you who don't know me and for many of you who don't recognize me since I seem to be away all the time anymore is, is Dean Hendrickson and I am one of the pastors here and have a privilege of serving alongside Danny and Dan and Chris and all of you for that matter. And it's a neat opportunity to open the word. It's been a busy fall for me and it's involved a lot of travel to other places. We were laughing when we were looking at our schedules and coming up with the teaching and that there's really just two Sundays this fall that really worked very much for me to even be here in this today and, and next Sunday. But what was really funny is that the last time I taught was just before the men's retreat, right? But it was canceled the first time. And then, of course, they, they did it again. So I've just come back from out of the country again and get the chance to open the word. So I get a, an opportunity to study through the word while I'm away. And, and sometimes it works well and sometimes it's more challenging. And But the neatest part about it for me is that God always brings something to me that really will help me with the message and, and what's going on. And this was much the same. God is very gracious to me for that. So we're going to study through the first six verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're continuing on for those that are new. God has us here at Windsor Community Church typically pick a book and then teach through it. And we're doing that. We're in 2 Corinthians. We've gone through the first three chapters and we're going to start chapter 4 today and, and finish it next week. 2 Corinthians is just a wonderful, rich text. And it is... The second of the letters that we have before us in the Bible to the Corinthian church, it's probably the third letter, actually. There's one in between that Paul sent. And there were some real challenges going on in the Corinthian church. They were struggling with a number of things. And this letter is really a response to many questions and situations that were going on in the church at Corinth. And we get the opportunity to learn from that. I suspect that if Paul were still around, he may well write to the church in America and give us a pointer or two on some things that we're struggling with and some areas that we need to work on. So Dan taught through chapter 3, and he taught about the fact that chapter 3 really focuses a lot on the new covenant. The new covenant that Christ then made with us that through Christ God made with us for our salvation. And what a wonderful covenant it is. Right? Does anybody want to say amen to that? Well, without that, we would be in dire straits. And so Dan was teaching through chapter 3 and finished up on that. 
And we're going to start off in verse 1, and the reason it's important to realize where we've been is because the first word in verse 1, chapter 4, is therefore. So it's assuming that you have a basis from which to move forward. And if you don't have that basis, then these first few verses aren't going to really mean anything to you. So recognize that one of the founding concepts of chapter 3 was the new covenant. And what Paul's now saying is the therefore in verse 1, therefore, since we have received this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. The therefore is talking about the ministry of the new covenant. So he's going back to that and saying, so I've just told you all about this new covenant, Corinthians, and I'm reinforcing it. This is not the first time you've heard it, by the way, because they had heard it before from him. But I'm really going to, he really was reinforcing that covenant. And now he's telling them, because we have this ministry of the new covenant, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. You see, Paul had been accused. Paul had been beaten. Paul had been left within just the slimmest grasp of life before. And he's telling the Corinthians here basically it's okay i prefer you wouldn't do this but you know what you cannot make me lose heart when it comes to the new covenant there's nothing you can do that will cause that you can try give it your best shot you know if you don't like this cheek go ahead and hit this one but i'm not going to lose heart it's an interesting deal. Lose heart really is a, it's a strong Greek term that refers to abandoning oneself to cowardly surrender. So Paul's telling the Corinthians here, go ahead. I won't give up. I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to keep reaching out. And I'm going to keep teaching. And I'm going to keep sharing because It's what I'm here for. If we look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, we get a nice look at some other things Paul was telling about not losing heart. And he tells the Galatians, And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. It's an encouragement. He was trying to help the Galatians see it's going to be hard out there. You're going to want to give up. There are going to be times where you want to just sit back and say, I've had enough. I'm tired. I've given it my all. I've got nothing more to do. And how many of us as parents have been there? And how many of us as parents have said, you know, I just, I give. I'm tired. I'm just exhausted. And yet, you know what? You get up the next morning and you start again. It is the same thing that Paul's telling these guys, don't give up. I know it's going to be tough at times. I know it's going to be difficult, but don't give up. Don't lose heart. In Ephesians 3.13, he encourages the Ephesians. So now we've got the, the Corinthians, the Galatians, and the Ephesians. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Here he's telling the Ephesians, the Ephesians were struggling with all of the bad things that were happening to Paul. And he's saying, it's okay. It's what's for the best. Don't lose heart in my tribulations. Don't give up. He wants to encourage these people. And he's telling the Corinthians that here. He said, you know what? 
I'm not going to give up. We aren't going to do that. Our ministry is the gospel, the new covenant. And we're not going to lose heart. Please don't you do that either. It's so important that we recognize that we don't lose heart because of the mercies we've been granted by Christ. Right? The mercies that he has showered on upon us because he was willing to hang on the cross for us. And the grace that God gives us for salvation because he has mercy on us. Because we can't pay the price that we need to pay to do that. Paul goes on in verse 2 to say, but, so again, referring back to verse 1, we don't lose heart, but instead we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Renounce is a word that we use to talk about to repent from or to turn away from. I used to believe this or I used to do this, but now I have turned my back on it. I have turned away from it and I renounce it. And there's a distinction between just turning away and renouncing. We can turn away from things, but kind of grab a hold of it and drag it with us. Has anyone done that? I'm going to turn from this, but if I get a good hold, I can take it and pull it behind me. The concept of renouncing is I turn away and I step away. I leave it there. I go here. It doesn't come along with me. And that's an important thing because this was one of the issues that the leaders of the time were having with Paul or accusing him of as we'll get to that in a minute. The shame here, so he's renounced these hidden things of shame. Shame is talking about ugly, disgraceful things. We know that as sin, right? It's one of the things. And sin, it's a small little word, but it encompasses so much. There's so many things that that fit into that. We could start now and not stop for months, and all we would do would name the things that God considers sin. So those things that are ugly or disgraceful to God... And the hidden things of shame really points about those things that we do, that we hide, that we keep kind of close, that you don't see, right? It's easy to renounce those really bad things when you're in a group of people, right? You may see something and say, oh, man, I would never get into that. Or I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. Then you go off to your room and what happens there? What does your life look like there? That's the stuff Paul's talking about here. Those hidden things of shame, secret immoralities, hypocrisies, sins hidden deep in the darkness of one's life. He goes on to talk about not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. You see, the leaders of the time had accused Paul of doing just that, of being a man who would use words, not just the word of God from their perspective, but words to get people to do the things he wanted them to do. He would use things to convince people 
to follow him. That's what he was being accused of doing. He talked about being crafty, a deceiver, twisting and perverting the teaching. So someone that would take, for instance, a passage of the Bible, Old Testament at that time, because that was what was written down, and take it and twist it for their meaning, for what they wanted out of it. So they would take, in some cases, a very small section and they would blow it into a very big thing. I could give you hundreds of examples that happen right now, all the time. God will repay you tenfold for every dollar you give to him. Right? That's out there. God talks about giving us back more than we could ever give. But the intent of the passage was not such that if you invest a dollar, he'll give you ten. But if you turn on the television or the radio, there is a reasonable chance today that you will hear that very thing being taught. You send us your money and we will pray for you and God will give you back tenfold. Now, if you take the little bit of scripture, you could read that, but it's not the intent of the scope. And leaders here were accusing Paul of doing that, of taking things that, that he had done and, and try to use them for his own gain. Adulterating or handling deceitfully talks about tampering with. Used to speak of dishonest business practices in the New Testament time. So people would take wine. Wine was a staple of the day. And there was good wine. There were bad wines. But sometimes people would take these wines and rather than selling you a flask of wine, they would sell you a half flask of wine with a half flask of water. They would deceive people with that. So people would buy the flask. They couldn't see in the flask. They just see the outside. They would buy that. They would take it home only to find out that it was diluted half and half with water. So that was a dishonest, adulterating effect to the wine And the leaders of the time were accusing Paul of that very thing. They said that Paul indeed was twisting. Paul was being crafty. Paul was giving half-truths. Paul was using the word for his benefit and to get people to do the things that he wanted them to do by twisting God's word. Paul's response to that is, I've renounced the things that are hidden because of shame. I don't walk in craftiness. I don't adulterate the word of God. But, but leaders, by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Commending means to establish or stand near to Paul's responding and saying, by the manifestation of God's truth, I'm willing to stand near your conscience, everyone, to show that I am not being deceitful, that I am not adulterating the word, that it is not me who is creating this issue, but in fact, leaders, it's you. You are doing this. Now, All of a sudden, you've got a he said, he said thing going on, right? The leaders on one hand are saying, Paul, you're being deceitful and adulterating the word. And we're not. 
right? In essence, whenever you accuse somebody of doing something like that, in essence, you are claiming that you don't. Paul, on the other hand, said, no, you are deceivers and adulterating the word. I'm not. So all of a sudden, we've got some on both sides. If we were in a court of law, then we'd have to go on and prove who's right, who's wrong. And at some level, Paul is going to do that, but he's going to do that by explaining to the leaders why they're struggling, why they're having troubles with it. You see, the leaders were under the law. The leaders did not believe the Messiah had come yet. So the leaders were stuck in leaving in their time frame because they couldn't understand. And in verse 3, Paul goes on to say, because they had accused him of veiling, right, of covering the words in chapter 3. And so verse 3 of chapter 4, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Veils serve a lot of different purposes. They may keep bad things hidden. right? So if you don't want someone to see a disfigurement, a great example would be the opera, the Phantom of the Opera, right? Had a disfigurement of the face and so kept that hidden behind a mask or a veil. So you may have a mask or a veil to cover up something that's bad. You may, on the other hand, keep something beautiful hidden. We see that regularly at weddings, right? The bride, the beauty of the wedding comes with a veil. And that is then lifted at the point where the pastor will declare them husband and wife. And the husband can lift the veil to see the beauty of his wife hidden beneath that veil. That's a good thing, right? That's the same way with God's word, right? The leaders of the time were accusing Paul of hiding something ugly behind his veil. Because they thought he was being dishonest or deceitful. Well, all the time, Paul was hiding something beautiful. But it wasn't Paul at all. In fact, Paul was not capable of veiling or unveiling God's word. And neither am I. Or Danny. Or Dan. Or Chris. Or anybody here. You see, it's not for us to remove the veil. That'd be cool. You have no idea how I think we would love to be able to remove the veil and take all things hidden from everybody's eyes so everyone could see God's truth. But that's not our option. We do not have that privilege. Paul was being accused of teaching and preaching an antiquated message, which was really interesting to consider because it was so far ahead But the leaders thought that he was so far behind because he wasn't where they were. He countered with them with this verse, which basically says, look, guys, it's not the messenger that's the problem. It's not the message that's the problem. It's the hearers that have the problem. You see, the veil here is such that it stops those who do not understand from hearing it. So, for instance, 
when I was in Japan last week and we're sitting around the table and everybody's talking in Japanese, I just get to sit there, right? I don't understand a word, not a single word. And you have no idea what's going on. You don't understand. You're just there. At the very beginning, it's kind of interesting because you're in a new place. But by the end of the week, it's really hard to sit and listen to people speak in a language you can't understand. See, I think the leaders were having the same problem I was last week. You see, they could, they could see Paul. They could see his mouth moving. But all they heard was Japanese. And they knew something was being said, but they couldn't get it. And rather than accepting that this was probably something very good, we should learn how to speak Japanese so we can understand it. They discredited him. He's a madman. He lies. He deceives. He twists words. When it wasn't the words problem. It was their heart's problem. They weren't willing to listen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12... Through 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. We have no ability in and of ourselves to understand what God says. You've all seen the Far Side cartoon. Well, maybe you all haven't, but I love the Far Side cartoon with what dogs hear, right? What people say, and they're talking about, and I think the dog's name is Ginger. Ginger, sit up. Ginger, be a good dog. Ginger, run and get this. Ginger, do this. And what the dog hears is ginger, blah, 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 ginger, blah, 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 blah. It's almost like that. And the tough part is that it's one thing to accept you can't understand. But the problem comes when you attack then the speaker because you don't like it. And that's what the leaders were doing with Paul. But Paul wasn't going to worry about that because he recognized that it wasn't his issue. His job is very simple, just like our job. Our jobs are actually very straightforward. As believers, our job is to share the gospel. Right? We're going to do it in all sorts of different places. Some will do it as full-time pastors. Some will do it as full-time something else. Some will be some combination of things. But that's our job. That's what we do. We can't control the response. We can't even control whether they hear us or understand it. We just are responsible for sharing it. In verse 4, he continues on when he's talking about the gospel being veiled to those who are perishing. And he talks about those who are perishing in those in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world is Satan. Right? Satan's job is to deceive people. The best way to deceive people is to blind them to things. If you can't see stuff, you can't learn and know about it. And so Satan does a masterful job of blinding us. 
in talking about the God of this world, it probably translates a little better to the God of this age, the God of this time frame and this locality. And it talks all about Satan. And there are so many verses that go back and refer to Satan. Uh, Matthew 4, 8, John 12, 31, 14, 30, 16, 11. It talks all about the prince of the power of the air and the God of this world. It's the world's philosophy that gets us in trouble. And I think it's where we struggle with. Because you see, all of us live here in the world. Someday, we hope to be in heaven. But until that time happens, we live here. We walk here. We get our feet dirty in the world. God wants us to be in the world because that's where we're impactful. However, he doesn't want us to be of the world. And that's where we have to really put the effort to make sure that we don't. And Satan blinds people to the fact that to God's word because he keeps us so full of things in the world. Desires for things. New cars. New house. New stuff. People to look at us. To, to recognize us for our accomplishments. Those are all out there. And those are real issues. Those are day-to-day things that, that we have to deal with. We want people to appreciate us. We want people to think we do a good job. And we want to do a good job. We want to do the right things, but we have to be careful not to allow those things to drive us in our happiness and in what we understand is true joy, which only can come from God. Only God can give or withhold the sight. Only God can remove the veil or place the veil. We can't do that, and we need to recognize that. We have to try to help people, however, to recognize where the world gets in their way. And that's one of the things we can do. And ideally, wouldn't it be cool to see everybody see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is indeed the perfect image of God who walked the earth? In verse 5, Paul goes on to say, For we do not preach ourselves... But Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus sake. In Second Corinthians 12, verse five, Paul reinforces this. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. So he's talking about a man who is caught up in third heaven. I know such a man starts in verse three, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows was caught up into paradise And heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but not on my own behalf. I will not boast, except in regard to my weakness. They accuse Paul of trying to steal the show, trying to steal the glory, trying to get people to follow him. Over and over Paul talks about it not being about him, but he talks about his weaknesses, about how in his weakness... God is sufficient and God is all strong. In 1 Corinthians 2, 3, we see that again. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He doesn't go on and on about how capable he is, how good he is, how able he is, how he can make such a difference. That's not been his countenance 
And the Corinthians know that, but they're trying to grab some foothold in their accusations of him. But rather, he was humble, and his whole life was preaching Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, it just talked about, I'm destined to know nothing but Christ. Nothing but Christ. That's it. That's all I need. That's all I require is Christ. And then finishing up in in verse 6, he continues on and says, For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the foreknowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul really tries to draw back everybody to God and to Jesus. This is the root. God's the foundation. Christ is your Savior, not Paul. Not Paul. He talked about, in in 1 Corinthians, about baptism and, and being grateful that people weren't baptized in his name. Because he didn't want anybody to be confused at all about his role in doing this. It takes us back to God, the creator. The light shall shine out of darkness. In Genesis 1-3, God's talking about let there be light, right? The creator spoke things into existence. And the creator of physical light is the same one who has to create the supernatural light in our lives. This light then ushers us out of the kingdom of darkness, And that gives us the ability to renounce things of before. So our sins, those things that have been holding us back, that have veiled our eyes, those things through the light of Christ, we're able to walk away from. And it's through the Spirit that we can do that. It's critical to understand, however, that it's all God's doing. He raises the veil. The Spirit comes and gives you the ability to learn and understand the word. All we can do is be faithful in opening it. It's a tall requirement to stand up here with the responsibility of opening God's word. To make sure that we do our very best to not be crafty. To not adulterate. You see, human weakness is such that we all have agendas of some sort. We all have something. And the struggle is that when you're put in a position where you get to stand up front and people get to listen to you, you have to really make sure that what you say is really here. Or you become one of the very people that the leaders were accusing Paul of being. And the weight of that is actually pretty heavy. But it's also so cool to get a chance to study this stuff more in depth and to really learn from it. Last week, I spent the week in Japan. And I always look for God to show me something that will help me understand better where he wants me to go with a message when I'm getting a chance to open the word. And one of the things that really hit me while I was there was the whole concept of the veiling of things. So if we could go to the next slide. A couple pictures of Japan. One of the places we went to, one of my hosts was very keen that we visit some temples. They're Buddhist temples, I'll tell you straight out. 
there are some interesting things to learn from these, as from everything. And the first thing was the ladies, and it doesn't show that well in the picture, but the Japanese ladies have their faces painted completely white. You talk about the veiling and the covering of things. This is the first step as you get ready to go up into one of these places, as we saw these two ladies there. And it's that whole concept of you could see them two hours later if they changed clothes and took the makeup off and never know that you'd seen them before. So a covering, a hiding, if you will. But where it really hit me was, next to him, please, more in the buildings themselves. So there are these beautiful buildings. They can be brightly painted. They are ornate. They have all sorts of things. They're, they're actually incredible settings for the temple. But the things that interested me here were the concept, if you look at this, you realize everything's closed. It's beautiful things on the outside. But in the inside, it's dark and it's shadowy. And in the real holy place, you can't even step up on the steps with your shoes on. You take your shoes off and you go in and it's all dark and it's all shadowy. And you just can't really make anything out. And every place that there's a place to stop and to pray or, or do something, there's a box to put your money in. But it's interesting, if you look on the depths, the next picture, all the paint's coming off, right? You can put beautiful paint on stuff, but if the underneath isn't solid or isn't stable, the paint comes off. It just comes right off. And next one, you might even cover it with gold. This is gold-plated. This whole building is gold-plated. But notice, everything's closed off. You get this outside perspective, but you never get to see what's inside of these buildings. The other thing that astounded me is that in the first place we went to, we went into this very special spot, and not 50 yards from it, there's a kiosk. And you can buy happiness. You really can. You can buy wealth, you can buy happiness, you can buy health, you can buy babies, you can... uh, Everything's for sale. And it hit me as I looked at this, and I'd been studying through the passage before this, that these people were all veiled. They couldn't see the absurdity of such. Here's this temple where they're worshipping a god of sorts, but this god really can't do anything. In fact, the God can't even grant happiness unless you can pay for it. And it was an interesting perspective for me. So it hit me and and made me wonder, you know, what are those areas in our lives that were veiled? Where is it? If you stop and think, what parts of your life are you veiled? Biblically, we know that once saved, always saved. That with salvation, the veil is removed. But I contend that we spend much of our time trying to pull it back. Trying to pull it back on. Where in your life is that? What portions of the world is drawing you away from your time with Christ? Where are you tempted 
to be crafty. Where are you tempted to just turn things a little bit to get people to do what you want them to do? To go where you want them to go? Please pray for us as pastors because this, I think, is one thing that we are all very sincerely concerned that we would not be crafty or deceitful with opening the word. That we would not come up with an agenda as a pastor board and then find spots to support it that are taken out of context. We earnestly desire to cut God's word straight, like Paul talked about here. We earnestly desire to be able to say to God face to face someday, God, we weren't crafty. We weren't deceitful. We were not adulterating with your word. We did the very best we could to cut it straight. My prayer for you all would be the same. Today, when you leave, you'll be confronted with the world. It'll be right there in front of you. Tomorrow, the day after that, and so on and so forth. There will be challenges. There will be things that will draw you away. There will be some of the things that you renounce that maybe you didn't grab a hold of, but maybe it's got a hold of you. And you'll get part way like a bungee cord, and pretty soon it's just harder and harder to keep going, and then you start going backwards. When it happens, dig in. right? Don't turn around. And look, dig in and go harder. Right? Let God cut that bungee cord. Let him take care of it. Next week we're going to talk about the bodies of ours that are earthen vessels and how cool it is that God has allowed us to be who we are, where we are, and how he perfects us and how he uses us and how our outer bodies are decaying. But the inner body is beautiful. Unlike these buildings that are gorgeous on the outside, but they're rotting from the inside. Okay? We want to be the opposite. We're going to rot on the outside, but the inside is going to be precious. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for being who you are and who you say you are. Thank you for being so patient with us, with me especially, Lord. I know that I have tried you many times. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to open the word. And I pray, Lord, that your truth can be impactful and that I can be completely out of the way. I pray, Lord, as well, that you will be giving all of the guys a safe drive back today, that they will be refreshed in spirit, if not in the flesh. And, Lord, that they will come away knowing you better and knowing better your plan for them. Lord, we lift everything up to you. It was yours to begin with, and we want to acknowledge that. And we look forward to you continuing to strengthen us and to sharpen us and to make us more like Jesus. And it's in his wonderful name we pray. Amen.